Well, good morning, Missio Church. My name's Cody Labarth. I'm one of the deacons uh, here at Missio and uh, excited to continue to journey through the book of Colossians with you all uh, together this morning. Uh, so if you've been here with us the past few weeks, you know we, that we are in chapter three of this book uh, that Paul has written to, to remind and express to the Colossian church Christ's lordship over all things. And in chapter three, uh, we're just seeing this reality that in light of what Christ has done and who uh, God's people are in Christ, that there's a way that we are to live. There's a manner in which we are to live. Um, and in this piece of the letter that we'll look at today, we're going to see how the gospel affects our most important earthly relationships. Uh, we're going to read about Paul's instruction uh, concerning the areas of marriage and family order. Uh, and as we do this, we're going to see just how applicable God's word is to our lives today. Uh, so before we read from God's word, let us pray for a moment uh, to the Lord that he will lead and guide us. Father, we just pray that you would open our eyes to your word, that you would help us to see that the sum of your word is truth, that you would teach us as only you can, the one who knows us uh, better than we know ourselves, as you are our creator. Lord, we pray that you would build up our understanding of your design of marriage, family relationships, Lord, that we would see how this matters for us, whether we are young or old, whether we are married or unmarried, um, wherever we are. Lord, teach us these things to your glory. Amen. So in Colossians 3, verses 18 to 21, this is what Paul's instruction uh, to wives, husband, husbands, fathers, and children are. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, it's no secret that there has been a, de a decline uh, in the health of marriages in our society uh, for many years. Uh, just a few uh, recent findings of the Pew Research Center that I was looking at recently uh, kind of highlight this. So just a few things that, that I saw. Among U.S. adults uh, ages 50 and older, the divorce rate has roughly doubled since the 1990s. Nearly two-thirds of Americans, so 65% of Americans, say society is just as well off if people have priorities other than marriage and having children. And this is an increase uh, since that, that same question was asked in 2016. In 1960, 73% of all children lived in a family with two married parents who were in their first marriage. By 1980, only 61% of children lived in that same type of family. And today, less than half, 46% of children live in that kind of home. Uh, lastly, fertility in the U.S. has been on the decline since the 1970s uh, when it was found that 40% of mothers who had reached the end of their childbearing years, they had given birth to either four or more children. And today, that number is cut in half. So... 
that same statistic would be two children uh, by the end of childbearing years. So, so what these things show us and what, what we know is that uh, we live in a culture in which most have gone their own way when it comes to the understanding of, of marriage and raising families. And in these verses, they challenge us to see this, that in Christ, God's original design for for Christian marriage and family order is restored. And it's a design that leads to our flourishing and to God's glory. Such a beautiful reality that these two things go hand in hand. God's glory and our good. Just pray that the Lord would help us to see that as we look at his word. So we're starting in verse 18, uh, where Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And man, we are coming out of the gate hot today. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, I don't think there are many statements that somebody could make that would be more unpopular in America in 2020. Uh, For many years now, the, the prevalent messaging of our society has been there should be no distinctions between men and women anywhere in society. So a formal name for that, that position or belief would be egalitarianism. It's the belief that, um, or this belief, it, just, it fights for the equality of, of all people, men and women, in all spheres of life, especially for the equality of women, as they are usually seen as the, the oppressed group. It's the philosophy of, of marriage that really is put forth to us in much of the media that we consume. It's held by many people that we are, in, are interacting with every day in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, uh, and even by many in our own families. Um, it's really the default understanding of so many in our culture, which makes a statement like this, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, uh, makes it seem outdated, patriarchal, oppressive. But our desire uh, as God's people, as a church, is, is not to allow the, the widespread beliefs of our society, society and our culture to just become the status quo for us, uh, but instead that we would view all things and allow the way that we think about all things to be shaped and informed by God's Word. So as we do that, as we continue to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Uh, Let's think for a moment about God's original design for marriage, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And then let's just allow his word to to determine how we receive and then obey a command like this today. And I think what we'll see is, is a great harmony between God's original design for marriage and Paul's commands in Colossians 3. So in Genesis 1, we have the account of God's creation, and the pinnacle of that creation is that on the sixth day, he creates man and woman. It says, so God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's important that we understand the significance of God making both the man and the woman in his own image. There is very deep meaning in this act, but in, in a simple sense, this means that God created both male and female to be like him in many ways. And so from this reality that, that 
men and, man and the woman are, are made in God's image, uh, we see an inherent dignity that, that both bear being made in the image of the Father. Both man and woman are equally crowned with this dignity of being made in the image of God. And because both are made in his image, they are able to do two primary things. First, they, they can have relationship, relationship with their father and also relationship with one another. And they are able to experience together everything that relationship entails, communication and intimacy and enjoyment and satisfaction and, and so on. And all of this culminates in, in love, love for their creator, love for one another. And then secondly, they are to represent the, their creator, their father, in all that they do in all of his creation. And God's command to them is, is this, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so they are meant to fill the earth with the people who bear the image of God, live in relationship with him, and represent him in all that they do all over the earth to his glory. And this is what we see in the beginning. And then a command is given to the man and the woman together, and uh, which brings us to, or sorry, we see that this command is given to the man and the woman together. And so uh, we see another aspect in that um, in which the, the husband and wife bear the image of God. And it's this, that, that they bear God's image by being interdependent. So God himself is interdependent. The Father, the Son, the Spirit acting in concert throughout all of the scriptures. All three persons of the tri triune God having the same essence but working uh, in distinct roles. And in Genesis 2, we see that uh, after God has created Adam and given him his work, he says this, he says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God creates the woman out of the man, and then it is said that the two become one flesh. Two people made as one with distinct roles. Adam is given leadership in this responsibility to steward the earth to God's glory. And Eve is given to him as a helper in that divine command. What we see are complementary roles. Equal, absolutely equal in worth, but distinct in function. And so together, they are to fulfill God's command to multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And we also see, just as we acknowledged just a few moments ago, that, that God's good design for marriage in the beginning, that it was damaged. That in the garden, Adam and Eve, they turn away from God, from his commands, and the Lord pronounces judgment on them. Part of that judgment that God gives to the woman is this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So the Lord says to Eve, in essence, that because of sin, that she would have a desire to rule over her husband, but instead the husband would rule over her. And so we see that part of the consequence of the sin of our first parents is relational discord in the marriage. And, and really, we, we know that is our heritage, that we have inherited that same sinful nature, those same consequences of our parents' sin. 
And that even because of our own sin, we experience all of the same relational dysfunction and discord that our first parents did. But the good news is this. Paul writes this letter to a redeemed people, a people reconciled back to right relationship with their father through Jesus Christ, a people who are restored, that they are able to live in the righteous design of God for marriage and for family. So when Paul commands the Colossian wives to submit to their husbands, he is, he is commanding them to walk in the righteous design that they were created for before sin ever entered the picture. And because of Christ and because of the new life that is found by faith in him, husbands and wives can live in obedience to these commands that Paul gives here. So with some of that framework in place, with that being understood, we can now we can ask, what, what do these commands mean for husbands and for wives today? So for a wife to submit uh, to her husband, the, the strict definition would be to subject or to subordinate herself to her husband's leadership in all things. And as we've seen, it is to represent God in her marriage by her interdependence with her husband, just as her father's interdependent. This submission is a, is a disposition. It's an attitude of recognizing her complementary role as a helper in the mission that God has given. Steward all things in their lives on this earth for God's glory. Again, in no way does this diminish a woman's personhood. It, in fact, I would say it's a more full expression of her personhood as an image bearer of God. It's certainly not to, to be a doormat, to, to go along, to ever go along with her husband in sin or, or to subject oneself to, to abuse. That certainly is not what these verses say or mean. It's not to be unequal. It's not to be oppressed. It, again, it is it is a more full expression. It is, um, it is the wife submitting to the husband's leadership being, a more, being more faithful to how she was created, who she was created to be, uh, than to rebel against the Lord and against her husband and to go her own way. Which is, which is why Paul says, wives submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Again, it is a, it is a restoration of God's design. And another way in which the wife's submission to her husband is fitting in the Lord is this. The scriptures tell us that this is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. That's what Paul says in a companion text to this command that he also gives to the Ephesian church. So in that letter in Ephesians 5, Paul says, says this command this way. He says, the husband is head of the wife even as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives submitting to their husbands becomes a living picture of the gospel. And there are countless practical applications uh, of this command. And we could spend all day talking about what this looks like. This command, it affects the way that a husband and a wife, the way that all of their decisions are made about everything in their marriages and in their lives. It, 
affects the way that they communicate with one another, the way that the home functions. Uh, it affects how you decide what jobs you'll take and where you'll live and again, so on and so on. The reality is this, that every, every husband and every wife have to take this command and these commands and contextualize them to their own lives, to the specific circumstances of, of your life and your marriage. So this command is dynamic and And every day we have to pursue these things. I wrote down just a few uh, ways that that this might look uh, in your life. So so wives, what does it look like to submit to your husband? I would say firstly, it's it's allowing your husband to lead spiritually. It's uh, now we know men's efforts in this area can be weak sometimes, but it's certainly never fighting against the husband's effort in any way to to lead spiritually. It's to build the husband up, allow him to do those things, to lead in the word and in prayer. I think it looks like praying for your husband, praying for his leadership, that he would uh, lead the family and do all things to God's glory. I think it looks like helping the husband discover how God has made him, gifted him, the strengths he's given him the unique ways that the Lord wants to use the husband in God's mission and to help the husband do those things. It looks like the way that you speak, building up your husband as the leader of the family in the eyes of your children, the church, the community, it's speaking of him in a way that, it, that is pleasing to the Lord as the leader of the family. And it's doing these things in trust, uh, submitting to your husband's leadership, not necessarily because the husband is deserving of it, or cert- we certainly know husbands fail, but because more ultimately the wife is, is trusting the Lord in his design for marriage. So I would say this, the applications are so broad, But women, if you have questions about this text and about what this looks like, uh, any of us who are in leadership are more than happy to talk about this text and and what this looks like in your life. And uh, maybe even better, there are many women in this church who I know would be more than happy to come alongside you to think about these things, to pursue obedience to this command. And I'll just remind you, uh, women who are wives, uh, no doubt, Obeying this command is difficult at times. But again, remember that you do so not in your own strength, not because your husband deserves it or is the world's greatest leader, but because you understand God's design for marriage and that it is a living picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, in case anyone thinks the men are getting off easy today, Paul has two commands for us, which, which I think is fitting, given that uh, God has designed men for leadership in the home, uh, it's fitting that much is expected of men. We might read these commands, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then a second command for those who are fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We might read or hear those things and think uh, that's pretty straightforward and pretty easy. But again, I want us to see that this command has so many implications uh, for us. So what does it mean for a man to love his wife? Now, 
we're inclined to think of love as romance. And to be clear, romance should be a part of our marriages. But, but romance is not what Paul is calling husbands to here. Here and elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul uh, has Christ's example in mind as he commands men, husbands, to love their wives. That's exactly what he says. That is the imperative for men uh, in Ephesians 5, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So let us think for a moment. What does Christ's loving leadership look like? While Christ was on earth, he, he called his disciples to follow him. He never demanded that his disciples follow him by force. Christ was patient with his disciples. He patiently taught his disciples. He, was, he just was constantly bearing with them in their weakness. Christ prayed for his disciples. He protected his disciples. Christ served his disciples even to the point of death. For all of his people, Christ willingly laid down his own life, taking our sin upon him, that we might be found righteous and be restored back to relationship with our Father. So Christ is the example. We see that men are are called to love their wives in this way, by laying down their life in leadership of them. And this is a leadership and a love that is Self-sacrificial, it seeks the good of one's wife, even to the husband's hurt. It's a love that, that seeks always to serve rather than to be served. Again, the, the defining attitude of this type of love and leadership is self-sacrifice. And so husbands, just as I pointed out a moment ago for wives, uh, obedience to this command is, is unique to you, uh, to the realities of your life and your marriage. It's going to look slightly different for every couple, but I think there are some things that are certainly going to be in place. So just a few, a few ideas about what this might look like in our lives. I think first and foremost, it is, it is leading your wife spiritually. It means taking the initiative. It means being the one who says, let's read the scriptures together. Let's pray together. And You don't have to preach a sermon to your wife. In fact, I think that she probably doesn't want you to do that. It's as simple as open the Bible and read the Bible and pray together. And clear time in your wife's schedule that that she can have communion with the Lord. So I don't know exactly what that looks like. Maybe it means watching the kids for a while so she can have an hour of peace and quiet. It certainly looks like being the one who, who is leading in prayer often, saying, let's do this. Let's pray together about this thing. I think it looks like working hard to provide. Whatever you do, whatever it is that God has called you to, to wake up early, to be productive in those things. That probably means for some of us putting down our phone or putting down the video game controller or giving up that Netflix show and And putting in some work, providing for the wife. It certainly looks like serving in the home, doing the dishes, rubbing your wife's feet, helping clean the living room, clean the bathroom, 
think for me, a lot of cleaning comes to mind because most of the time my wife's cooking dinner and I walk in, I say, hey, can I help you with anything? And she says, yeah, go clean the bathroom. I'm like, that's not at all what I was after, like at all. Um, Looks like listening to your wife's opinions, her thoughts, her ideas, remembering that the Lord designed her to be your helper. Certainly looks like speaking highly of her in front of your children, to her in public. Again, the applications are very, very broad. And we also need to remember that Paul says too, do not be harsh with them. A result of our sin uh, is that in our flesh, men have a tendency to be bitter and to be rough towards their wives. To remember all of their faults, to speak roughly, to demand our own way, to be domineering. And in the worst expressions of this, this harshness to be physically and emotionally or spiritually abusive. It's easy for us to see how those things are the exact opposite of what men are called to, what husbands are called to in loving their wives. So men, don't allow your sin to rule here. Plead with Jesus for a heart that is kind and soft towards your wife. And remember that the way that you love her is a picture of Jesus' love for his church to this world. Paul goes on, he gives a second command to to those husbands who who have the privilege to be fathers. He says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so so to not provoke means not to to, to literally to stir them up. And so, so that would mean to stir them up towards resentment and to bitterness. So continual provoking eventually brings a child to the point of being discouraged. Discouraged about their own life and their worth. Discouraged to obey the Lord's commands and trust the Lord is good. This might look like constant negative correction. Always having an angry or frustrated tone with your children. Might look like attacking their, their competencies. Making unreasonable, unreasonable demands or just using excessive discipline. Not showing warmth and affection your children. So fathers, to do these things is, is a denial of God's design for families. Instead, fathers are called to be loving encouragers of their children, to view their children as a blessing from the Lord, to bring out the best in their children, to encourage them in their, and make them confident in who God's made them, the abilities that God has given them, certainly to to build them up by teaching them the way of the Lord. I think it's having this attitude. It's remembering what the psalmist says in Psalm 128. He says that for the blessed man, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. It's kind of a strange picture, right? But what that is capturing is that our children are full of life and energy and promise. And fathers, it it is our role to call that out in them. Call out who God has made them to be. So men, I said these are, these are weighty commands. And my prayer is that we would all be spent in loving, self-sacrificial leadership of our wives and our children. All right, kids, you're not off the hook either. 
Finally, Paul says this to children. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I want to remind us all that this is a command that is rooted in the fifth commandment that says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. So one of the most basic ways that God has designed for children to flourish is to obey their parents. Now we see this truth throughout all of the scriptures, that children who, who refuse to, to listen to their parents, to obey their parents' instruction, they usually go on to live lives of rebellion against the Lord. But God has made such a better way that children, you can honor God, you can honor the Lord by obeying your parents. Now one exception, of course, would be if your parents are demanding sin from you. In that case, you need to honor the Lord. But, but in everything else, the scripture would say, obey your parents. And look, we all know that parents aren't perfect. That, that sometimes a parent's demands are unjust or unreasonable. That their parents have faults just like everyone else. But you don't obey your parents only when you agree with what they are asking you to do. You obey your parents from a desire to honor the Lord. Understanding that, that when you obey them, you are pleasing Him. So when your parents ask you to clean the house, do it joyfully. When they say do your homework, do it heartily. When they think you've been on your phone too long, listen and put it down. When they tell you they don't want you to date this person or that they think you're spending too much time with this certain group of friends, trust them. Remember that the Lord has given you these parents as part of His good design. Now, I said earlier that in Christ, God's design for Christian marriage and family order is restored. And it's a design that leads to our flourishing and to His glory. Now, we've seen some of the ways in which this is true, but... May we not leave here today thinking uh, to ourselves, like, I just need to do better. I, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to take more leadership. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to submit myself to my husband. I'm going to be a more obedient child. No, if we think that we're going to do these things in our own effort, then we need to be reminded of the gospel. That it is only by faith in Christ and His life and his death and his resurrection that we can live in this redeemed relationship that we are called to with all in our family so we do these things by placing our faith in christ from day to day and moment to moment so if you've never done so i i hope that you would believe in christ even now and for those of us who are seeking these things, who have placed our faith in Christ, let us remember this. Uh, these words that Andreas Kostenberger uh, wrote concerning these commands. He says, Earthly marriage and family life are but training wills of sorts, designed to prepare one for an eternal relationship or marriage to Christ. So in Christ, may we press on in all of these things until the day that he returns. The scripture says that it'll be like a bridegroom coming to wed his redeemed bride, 
the church. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for redeeming your people, redeeming us and calling us to live in your righteous design. Lord, we pray that you would build up the marriages in this church to glorify you. That you would teach parents to love and to discipline their children the way that you would have them, in a way that gives you glory. To teach them your way. Lord, may we remember that we can only live in accordance with these things because of what your son Jesus has done on our behalf and the spirit which you have promised to your people. We love you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we respond?